Greetings, friends. This is Dr. Mark Sharona, and I want to welcome you to The Edge Podcast, where all things theological, psychological, spiritual, and cultural will be explored so that you and I might understand the times and know what to do about them. Enjoy. Greetings, friends. I'm delighted that you've joined me for this podcast. I'm excited about my guest, Dr. Joy Allen. We've gotten to connect through... Twitter, but also through some common friends in the world of academics. And uh, I'm a little bit jealous because she has spent time in the country of my descent and it's on my bucket list to eventually get there. I've had to cancel multiple times going there, but um, in any event, Dr. Joy Allen is my guest today. So welcome, Dr. Joy. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about your journey. Okay, um, well, as uh, the listeners will pick up, I'm Scottish, um, but my mum would want to remind you that I'm half Northern Irish and never forget it. It's the best half <laughs> of me, apparently. And I now live and work in Northern Ireland. That's where I, I lecture. Um, I uh, was told not to study theology as a, a teenager. Um, you'll know how it is growing up Pentecostal. Don't study theology. You'll get all the faith knocked out of you. So I went to uni to do English and French, um, but began working with kids with disabilities. And that's really where my journey began. Um, John Swinton, who was my professor, um, has written a lot on disability theology. And I realized if I studied with him, I got to write about the two things that I was most passionate about, the life of my kids and um, my faith. And I realized that actually studying theology, as I know you have as well, um, grounded and grew my faith rather than knocking it out. Um, but I was determined not to study it further. And uh, John said to me at the end of my MA, you're going to come back and do the PhD. And I said, no way, I'll never be a theologian. I'm going to pastor. I want to work for the church. And he just winked and smiled in that prophetic way that he does and said, we'll see. And seven years later, after working for churches, working in mental health care, and yes, living in Italy for a few years where I was in a little Pentecostal church that had suffered a lot, I found that for seven years, I'd just been thinking constantly about this idea of suffering, particularly mental and emotional suffering, and how we as Pentecostal charismatic Christians do not cope with it well, and how our cultures do not cope with it well. And the question wouldn't leave me alone. And so after seven years, John had faithfully stayed in touch with me. I emailed him and said, I think it's time. And he said, yes, it's about time. And I went back to Scotland where I was surrounded by your countrymen. Um, I was the only Scot on my, uh, in my year. Uh, there were thankfully some Scots that joined me, but it was wonderful. I got to live um, in all the states of America vicariously um, in, my, in my PhD. Um, and then I, I began, I grew to study the subject of, of how we as Pentecostals um, live with depression faithfully. How do we respond faithfully, just really focusing on that element of faithfulness. Um, I then went and pastored for a couple of years in Birmingham um, in a church there and then went on to, I now lecture in a Bible college uh, full time in Northern Ireland, uh, returning to my own heritage. So, so that's me in a, in a nutshell academically. Wow. Sounds exciting. I, um, I'm currently enrolled in University of Birmingham. I saw, I saw it's a great city. <laughs> yeah, I've been there over the years as, as I've visited the UK. I've never been to Scotland. I would love to go. You I've must, you must. Never been to Ireland. I would love to go there as well. So. All the rain makes them both very green. So uh, I'm sure. Um, 
I understand Rowan Williams has now retired to Scotland uh, as if I follow the, the trail. That doesn't surprise me. What I've read. Um, so, so Deborah, Joy, talk to me a little bit about the intersection of mental health mm-hmm. and theology in your own personal journey. That's fascinating to me. So it began um, with uh, the story um, within my own family, knowing that someone had been told to have more faith and stop taking their medication. And the outcome of that was tragic. Um, And I'd grown up knowing that. Um, And I think I'd always struggled because, um, yeah, like you, I mean, I'd I'd seen God do incredible things. I I could not stop being a... um, you know, Holy Spirit-centered Christian. That that was something that I was never going to stop doing. But I was seeing more and more um, through the in the various countries that I was in, in the various places that I was in, that, that we didn't have the tools that we needed to deal with, particularly emotions that are not quote unquote acceptable. Um, if if we were not um, you know happy or we were not. Uh, experiencing our faith emotionally in the ways that our communities expected us to there was guilt and shame being heaped upon us and and mostly by ourselves mostly by our own inner inner thoughts a lot of the time that that chorus that we have around us um so it really came from that um and and i was working in secular healthcare and and seeing really the opposite and and that's what i can consistently saw throughout my thesis was that actually i saw there being a problem on either side that in secular society there was a you know a negation of the spiritual and a kind of reification a, a kind of uh, um too much power given to only a medical narrative so it's you know it's take your pills and that's it you're you're free whereas for us it was pray and that's it and you're free and in both cases, I was seeing just a lack of love and a lack of community and a lack of um, kind of relationship. And, and so I want from, and that's where it all began. Um, I, I was warned um, by John at the beginning not to try to go in to reform the Pentecostal church. And that was a very wise warning um, because I realized that actually we have a lot to offer and we there is a, a lot of blessing within our culture, particularly within our history. I got I fell in love with my own history uh, through the stories of Seymour and, and, and people like that and, and watching how the spirit moves in unexpected places. Um, so it's just basically looking at what does it mean to respond faithfully when faithfulness, when you've been kind of um, conditioned to believe that faithfulness means a certain type of emotion um, and a certain type of acceptable emotion. And, and how do you respond to faithfulness in a way which is biblical and may not be what your culture is expecting you to be, but how do you be faithful to God in that um in that situation so you know as you know depression just kills the emotion a lot of the time and yet we are very emotional christians um how how do you practice faithfulness in that way that was my my starting place wow okay so um i mean i'm not unfamiliar with either depression or anxiety i think you i think i may have mentioned i had gone through a really dark season that really altered the way in which i wrestled with 
these issues. I have a, an undergraduate, I mean, I have a graduate degree in theology. I was 43 credits away from my PhD and then parlayed that for the theological doctorate in um, semiotics with Leonard Sweet. But um, I, th I find it um, problematic the longer I live that there aren't enough theological conversations with the world of psychology. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me a little bit about how you have fared on that journey navigating those waters. I think there's fear on both sides. Uh, one of my, uh, one of the kind of consistent sentences that kept coming to me was this idea that you know perfect love casts out fear but I think perfect fear can cast out love and I think that the church is scared of psychology because um there has been I'm sure you've read that Dan Blazer's work there's there's kind of a, a lot of work there in terms of psychiatry and and God but I think that um often psychology is for some reasons quite rightfully um given some of the abuses that there have been um scared of the church what we're trying to do in Northern Ireland, where that is uh, most consistently the case, I mean, we have 20 to 25% higher mental health issues than the rest of the UK, uh, I think because of the troubles, um, our, um, yeah, our uh, civil war that we give a, another name to, um, is we're trying to build up networks between the NHS and the church, because I think what often happens is the church often goes the other way and we try to be the NHS or sorry we try to be healthcare I forget I'm speaking to America and uh, we try we try to be medical um, and that doesn't work because then we're, we often do that badly we don't have as you'll know better than me we don't have the training nor nor should we be expected to the church is called to be something else so, so my real passion is that the church can get better with linking with places that we can trust to linking to good counsellors not necessarily Christian counsellors actually but good solid psychiatrists and counsellors and yes, um, medics and, and, and encouraging medication as part of a holistic, um, as part of a holistic thing. And, and the same with, and, and I think as we do that, then the fear, I hope, I pray that the fear on both sides will go. And um, so I just ran a course there. Uh, we had 92 people, that was myself and two friends of mine who are senior psychiatrists, but Christians. And we ran the course together speaking about mental health in the church. And it was it was really encouraging the numbers that, that we had for the course. But what was more encouraging than that was the stories that came out, not when we were talking about psychiatry, but in the middle week when I was honest about I myself um, suffer from anxiety, which manifests as OCD. And I was honest about the fact that actually medicine has completely changed my life um, alongside prayer and miracles and, and God miraculously, I didn't tell them this, but God miraculously leading me to a wonderful psychiatrist when I had my own breakdown. Um, and I was honest about that and the outpouring of emails that came in then um, of people sharing their own stories and their own hurt and their own pain was more than actually in the weeks we spoke about psychiatry and I think what I realized then and I will change for the next courses is actually we have a place that is very different from psychology from psychiatry where we can be and we're not we're often the opposite but we can be an authentic community you know we can we can you know I, I talked quite a bit about the idea in my thesis of the body of Christ and the idea that we don't all have to be good at mental health. We, you know, I'll hear from people 
um, oh, mental health isn't really my thing. And I think, great, that's fine. What is your thing? You know, because if we're the body of Christ, we're not all an elbow, we're not all an arm, we're not all a leg. But actually, depression, which I was studying, as, as you will know, has many manifestations and many stages. So there are stages when you need someone like me, where my thing that I can help you with is I will sit and cry with you. And, and that is, you know, my pastoral, my pastoral calling. My wonderful Scottish father would not want to do that. He would want to sort out your accounts. And actually, there's a time when you can't do that. You, 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 you're, you know, you'll know yourself. We've both been there. You're unable to make a decision. And what you need is someone to come alongside you and say, actually, would you like me to help you sort out your taxes? Um, or would you like me to? And, and in the church, we have this capacity to be this, but because we're trying so hard to be something else, we're either trying to be super spiritual and, you know, name it and claim it all in a way that negates the, the, the beauty that, and the, the gift that God has given us in medicine, or we're trying to be medics. And actually, we're called to be the church. Um, and, and therefore, I think that the best way that we can link with psychiatry and psychology, and that's what we're trying to do in Northern Ireland, it's just at the very beginning stages, but we're trying to get better networks between our counsellors, between our psychiatrists, between our, so that the church can then be the church. Um, and medicine can be medicine. And then the people that are hurting and suffering can be healed and brought healing in all of the ways that God wants to bring them healing, uh, bring us healing, I think. That, that's profound. I, you know, if we were to turn the clock back, let's say to the mid 1800s, um, at least in the Western world, back then therapeutic consciousness was just beginning to take hold. And, and back then, I think it would have been a very cautious enterprise to try to understand a newly burgeoning science of psychology. Although we both know that if we go back to the early church fathers mm -hmm. and mothers, there was an entirely yeah. therapeutic approach to the gospel that I think in contemporary culture we've lost. Mm -hmm. but, but therapeutic consciousness in the last 150 years has significantly added value. Um, and now um, we do need to see far more, I, I know the word is overused, but holistically, um, the integration of the two. So it's encouraging to me to hear that, I mean, it's exciting to me that you have built relationships with both the mental health community and the church and that there are networks and that, and that when you say the term Christian psychiatrist, there was a day that would have been an oxymoron, just like saying Pentecostal yeah. scholar would have been an oxymoron. Yeah, <laughs> I'm told yeah. it still is in some places. <laughs> um, for the sake of our, our listening friends, mm -hmm. um, for me, depression and anxiety traveled together for a lengthy, lengthy time. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't... Um, I have had battles with depression in the past, but in this one season I went through, it was the anxiety first, but then the perpetuating of that led to depression. Um, talk to our listening friends about how they might, if they're hiding mm. and masking, mm. how they might get help in owning and bringing it to speech and why, mm. That's so important. 
one of the most profound sentences that I've ever remembered um, was when there was that awful shooting in the church in America in, um, in Charleston. And I remember the, the minister there saying, just over and over again in the sermon saying, we know who we are because we know who our God is. And I think for me that that is what is important. It, I cannot lie to your listeners and tell them that if they are honest about their depression, that they won't be made vulnerable to places that are unsafe. Because many of our churches are unsafe. Every time I make myself vulnerable, I get nine emails, you know, and I don't, you know, it's not like I pour my heart out in class. I just mention that, that I suffer from OCD. I'll get nine emails, which are profound stories and thank you and I'll get one which is passive aggressively telling me yeah. that I should not be vulnerable and I would love to say that that doesn't affect me but I'm an emotional person and it does yeah, absolutely. and so I think that the to come back to that 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 godly pastor it just it was at the darkest time in his life for him to say we know who we are because we know her who our God is a lot of my work was bringing the stories um, of those um, who lived with depression back to scripture and looking at the lies that we've believed in the Pentecostal charismatic church. So I think the first lie that we've believed is that it's meant to be all about us and Jesus, you know, and, and, and I, I feel like there's a, there's a sense in which, you know, you say to someone and just shut me up if I'm rambling, cause I could talk oh, about this all day. Um, I, I feel like you say to someone, how did you become a Christian or how did you know about the spirit? And they'll say, oh, well, this person laid hands on me. This person spoke to me. This person, I witnessed their life. So we come to faith in a nexus of relationships. There's people all around our relationship. Then we have a breakdown and we say to people, well, that's between you and God. You need to get your heart sorted out. You need to sort this out in your prayer closet. So that nexus of relationships that we, we forget about it. And there's a disconnect between how we come to faith and how we're meant to live in faith. And, and I would say that that's not biblical. I mean, I mean, you, you have been in the scriptures a lot longer than I, 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 I see it as, you know, in perfection. Um, I was saying this to my class the other day in perfection, God saw that Adam needed Eve. Adam needed someone, even in perfection. And that, that's, I talk about this as the two gardens. So in the first garden in, you know, in Eden, God saw that it was not good that man should be alone. But it wasn't just marriage because Christ in perfection in Gethsemane needed his friends in the second garden. And, and I often say to my students, you know, actually, we have made it a sin to need others. We've said it should all be you and Jesus. And it's sometimes that blatant and it's, but it's often subconscious. Oh, if I need other people, then that's, that's weak. That's dependent. That's, I'm not being a good enough Christian. I'm not filled enough with the spirit. All I need is you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. But actually, I don't think that's biblical because if even Christ needed his friends in his darkest days, and if even Adam needed even perfection, if even the Trinity, not to get into social Trinitarianism, but if even the Trinity is itself in relationship, absolutely then it's not a sin so I think the first thing that we need to do is realize that it may be an issue for other Christians and I wish it weren't like like you might get hurt by making yourself vulnerable and therefore you need to pray and you need to seek the spirit and you need to ask who you make yourself vulnerable to but to know deep in your heart that that you belong to God it's about this knowing knowing whose you are and knowing who you are within that and that for God it is not a sin to need others and, and then that it's not a sin 
to be unhappy. You know, this is the other lie that we believe. We, you know, I saw this with my participants. Well, you know, oh, well, if I wasn't happy, then I wasn't filled with the spirit. And, and again, I brought that back to scripture. And I saw that, you know, Ruach in the Old Testament is not once connected to happiness. Any of the time that Ruach is mentioned, the spirit is mentioned, it is, you know, it's life. But that's not the same thing as happiness. You know, it's breath. That's, a, you know, but it's it's not connected to happiness. In the New Testament, it is, but not to the extent that we think it is. And then, as you'll know, throughout history, revival, think about Azusa Street, think about the Huguenots, if it's the Desert Fathers and Mothers, it's burst in places of isolation and suffering and stigmatization and pain. So I think what your, 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 your listeners need to realize is that the church may have an issue with you, but Christ does not. Mm. In fact, this is where the spirit moves. Historically and biblically, the spirit moves in places of suffering. And, and we have made a lie out of it in our churches. We see the spirit moves where there are huge numbers. We see the spirit moves where we are together and successful and our pictures look good and our lives are together. But historically and biblically, it doesn't seem to me that that's where the spirit moves. So I think I'd want to say to your listeners, you are in exactly the right place. If you're broken down, if you're being stigmatized by your church, you're in exactly the right place for the spirit to move in your life. And we've both seen that in our lives. Um, so I, I think practically be careful who you're vulnerable with. It's important. Trust, don't trust people just because they say they're a Christian. That's the most dangerous thing you can do. <laughs> but you can trust God and you can trust that unhappiness is not a sin and needing others is not a sin. In fact, they are places where the spirit can and, and does move. So profound. It reminds me of obviously in Genesis, mm. God's evaluation is it's not good. Yeah for man to be alone. It's not good for humanity to be alone. We were created for relationship. Um, and then it's interesting because if we were to go back to early Pentecostal roots, be they in the United Kingdom, um, whether that would be the pioneers back then, uh, all the way back to D.H. Uh, Williams, and the apostolic movement there or even here brother seymour suffering was very much a part of mm. their consciousness mm. um and i know here I, I i i don't for whatever reason america um has gotten caught up in triumphalism mm -hmm. and with that it's changed the flavor of pentecostalism and where it's weaponized the cross to the point where we're never supposed to suffer. Christ suffered for us. Therefore, we shouldn't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. But it's so contrary even to early Pentecostalism here in America, because the reality is, is that they talked a lot more about the sufferings that we endure as humans. I, I love when you say that when the when we are in those places of pain that the spirit is there mm. um let's let's so let, do me a favor i mean you're you're a brilliant theologian you're you're brilliant <laughs> assessing mental health i know we can't do it he's long since dead mm -hmm. but i want you to psychoanalyze elijah when he is <laughs> after this profound moment that he thinks is going to change everything that actually changes nothing 
and he flees for his life and he finds himself under the juniper tree. Talk to me about Elijah from this perspective. It's that, that thing of isolation, you know, in my, um, in my first pastoral care course that I did in Northern Ireland, I, I do this thing where I am um, in order to kind of get them into what theology is. I say, what is your leaky tap? What is the thing that is, and I, I say that, that I say that growing up, um, growing up uh, evangelical and studying theology is like you all grew up in the same bathroom, and then you're getting given the tools to fix the leaky tap. What is that thing that you want to fix? Every single one of my students, bar one, said something to do with loneliness. Um, I was doing a pastoral care class on elderly because that's what I teach mostly is pastoral care on elderly yesterday, and they were saying, you know, just the sheer amount of old people, particularly in lockdown in the UK, are chronically lonely. There's such a link between loneliness and, and, and depression, such a link between loneliness and so much mental health. And it's interesting how much being a prophet is lonely. I always remember, I don't know if you know Barry Kissel, the, the, the UK, he's a prophet, was a prophet in the UK back in the 90s. And I always remember him saying, you know, being a prophet is lonely. And I, I have felt that in my life, you know, that it's, it's one of the reasons that I was interested first in your work was that I had been given a prophetic word about Isaacer when I was young. I had no idea I'd be a theologian, no idea that, that Isaacer was, you know, that the tribe of Isaacer were scholars. I was going to be a Pentecostal wife with lots of children and I was never going to go to, you know, and God knew what he was doing. But what I've seen in that journey is that being prophetic, that Isaac or thing that, that, you know, your passion for that is, is, is what made me want to connect with you. Seeing the things that others, you know, that are the signs of the times that others don't see. It means calling the church out. So you're lonely in the church and it means calling um, it means calling people out. So, so the prophetic. So if you are a prophet, if you're prophetic and you're listening to this, then then I would say, you know, again, just dig into the friendships that you can dig into, but, but know that God is in that loneliness. But my, my, uh, my flatmate, uh, when I was doing the PhD, was writing on um, wilderness theology. And she said something, she was a Hebrew scholar, and um, Amy Erickson, her book's just out, actually. And she said to me something really interesting. She said, you know, so much of the Bible is about the wilderness. You know, just the majority, you know, you think about even the years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, you know, the, the, the wilderness and the desert and even, you know, Christ ran away so often and he was only doing ministry for three years out of 33 and, and yet so often he was running away from the crowds. And um, so I, I, I would I would hesitate to say I do have one participant who who very profoundly kind of said at one point, you know, I think most of the prophets would have been on on medication if, the, if they'd lived now. Um, and she's a Northern Irish girl, they mostly be on SSRI, she said. But the thing is that, 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 yes, that is true. I don't know what Elijah's life was, but I know that loneliness is such an intense part of the Christian journey. And it doesn't mean that you're in sin. It doesn't mean that you're in shame. And I, I, I witness with that so much. And I think it's really hard if you're someone who sees what, and I don't mean people that we call prophets. I don't mean, you know, the, the people that are on the stages. That's, that's great if they want to do that. I mean, the people that see the things that others don't, that see the pain. And often with depression, actually, um, you know, I remember one of my participants saying, you know, one of my symptoms was that I would ache with pain when I saw little old ladies who were lonely in the street. And I thought to myself, well, maybe that's a symptom, but maybe that's also God's heart, you, you know, um, 
So I, I, I would never, you know, I would never want to have been a prophet, especially Elijah. My goodness, he had a hard time of it. Ezekiel as well. I mean, my goodness, oh, you know, yeah. all of those men cooking on dung and, you know, <laughs> lying on their sides. And But we do that in our own ways. And, and I think that depression is a prophetic voice um, to our communities. That's not to idolise it or make it into a good thing, as you and I both know, it's horrific. But the actual, the, the existence of it and, and what goes on within it and the things that we can see within it, there is a prophetic element there. And I think the two are very, they're, they're very connected. But yet we think if we're going to be prophetic, we have to be happy and successful and together. I'm, I'm not sure any of the prophets were happy or successful or together. They were. No, and I mean, but. just the fact that you just said that depression is a prophetic voice is profound. Um, Job, as you know, um, in, the, in the book of Job, it says, you have opened my ear in oppression, mm. that there's something about um, the pains we endure that mm. sensitize us to the heart of God and to God's own concern for the human condition. Um, so when, why do you suppose it is, let's just say, so, so you and I would pay attention to these things when we look at scripture. How, how can that become a part of the larger conversation uh, when it comes to really looking at the, the the realities of because to me these things have become more evident in scripture mm -hmm. because of what i've been through not less mm -hmm. How, what would be a way forward from your perspective i wish there was another answer but i think the only way forward is on our knees in heart often and in pain um, I, I think I, I, I take so seriously the words of my professor when he said you can't reform the Pentecostal church and if you do that's not research and, and I was really challenged by that because I saw that actually he was he was dealing with pride within me um, but he was also telling me that actually yeah, we can't we, we can't do that nor should we that's God's work that's the spirit's work all we can do is lead by example. So I'm careful with who I'm open about, but with my students, even though it hurts, even though there are times when it comes back in evaluations, um, you know, she talked about mental health in class, that's that's not glorifying God, that's not, I mean, that wasn't what they said, you know, but that's not professional. I still do it because I know the the emails I get from students who are at the end of their tether, who have thought about suicide, who have had parents who have committed suicide. And I think for me, the only answer is to keep doing that even though it hurts, to be careful, to be wise, but as a leader and as someone who trains leaders, to keep being open and, and to keep saying, you know what, God is good in spite of all this. God has worked through my situation. God is, you know, and some of my situation, I have to say, in fact, the majority was trauma caused by the church. And actually that was what led me there. And I often, you know, I, I, I often, I, I, was, I was speaking to someone today and I was saying, actually, 
um, this is very difficult because I'm working for the thing that harmed me. But God is not who harmed me. Um, and, and I think it's important that we keep that into perspective. We need to love the church. They are God's children. You know, we all mess up. I have made a mess of many pastoral situations. I'm only realizing as I grow older, you know, I think about uh, I, I think about things and, and realize, you know, the people that I've hurt. Um, but I think that there is a challenge to us. All we can do, those of us who have a voice, is to lead from the front, to be open, to be honest, to call the church to authenticity. We are not going to change the big, you know, I've been really challenged by Jesus and John Wayne and, you know, yes. um, Sally Nash's book on shame. And yeah, that sense of like, there is, there is something deeply wrong within our culture. But we love that culture because we know that there's also something deeply right within it. You know, God is a God of miracles. God, God, you know, the spirit works. You know, I I couldn't cope without the gift of tongues. You know, I, I it's just it's all, all of this kind of this kind of um, dichotomy. So so I think the answer is, is the same answer that it is for anything, just to keep loving. But that is both really simple and really hard yes. because to just keep loving means that we will be hurt by our fellow Christians. We will be hurt by those who we open ourselves up to. But I believe that it is still worth doing and, and that God will work within that. And all we can do is, you know, in the end of the day, my, my mother always reminds me it's an audience of one joy. It's an audience of one and I'm so guilty of caring very deeply about the audience of, you know, all the many others that are around me. But, but she's right. And, and, and that's all we can do. I mean, practically, yes, of course, we can do things. And, and partly my work is, is that I'm wanting to do that. But I want my work not to be about the academy. I, I haven't published within the academy because I, you know, I, I'm devoting my time to, to, to stuff within the church. So, of course, practically, we can we can do that. But realistically, we're not we're not going to reform things. Only God is. And I think God is. I, I think through the Me Too movement, and I know that there's a lot of uh, issues within that and a lot of pride and a lot of flesh. But I also really believe that the spirit is calling the church to a reckoning um, and, and that actually the spirit really is doing a lot of my work at the moment has stemmed because I realized the connections between depression and abuse and saw so much of, of that. Um, within again that whole Jesus and John Wayne thing within our power structures within what's going on and I, I do think that the spirit is doing something and all we can do is just keep trying to walk along with the spirit and work out what's going on and, and be there so profound I you know I what I hear you saying I, I maybe I maybe I know this in the back of my mind but it's 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 the fact is that whether it's America or the UK, we're wrestling with many of the same issues, even in terms of power differentials and yeah. these kind of things. We, we, you know, I tend to maybe, I tend to maybe glamorize the UK because of its, um, it, 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 the Christian community tends to be more informed in the UK, but as I listen to you, yeah. what I hear is there are the same issues there as there are here. I think you're probably right in that they are to a greater extent in America. And, and my upbringing was within Pentecostal charismatic churches, and we are much more influenced by America. So I think that's why the Jesus John Wayne book. But I've been... I now attend a charismatic um, Episcopal church and, and worked for one as well. Um, 
I think evangelicalism is different between the two countries, but it has the same issues. We have the same issues of power and idolatry and um, idolatry of certain personalities. Um, probably the, the best theological book that I've read is uh, Grant McCaskill, who's an Aberdeen scholar, yes. writes a book on autism Quite in the back. church. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. incredible. It's incredible. And he really calls us out on that idolatry of the church uh, coffee time you know and he's speaking about the he speaks about autism you know as a bless you as a as a prophetic a prophetic voice and how actually within our church coffee time you know it's certain personalities um that we migrate towards um and i think you know that book he's based in scotland he's uh you know a british scholar um I think that issue of idolatry of certain personalities and the personalities who are together, who, you know, who, who, who work, who are inside the box, so to speak, is an idolatry that has crossed. Now, I think to a certain extent that has come from America. There's a huge influence on evangelicalism within America. I work at a broadly, I don't work at a Pentecostal college, I work at a broadly evangelical college. Um, with students from all different denominations and I see it frequently because we look to America you know my students it'll be it'll be it's the American it's the Instagram influencers it's the American it's the it's God channel it's the, and that's not a bad thing none of this is a bad thing but we have definitely been influenced by America so I'm not sure that there's that much of a difference I, I hear you um and and I think you know when we I tend to um I prefer for me these days to identify Pentecostalism as, as somewhat spaced from evangelicalism. I, mm. I, I certainly don't deny that we are evangelicals. I, I, I like the idea of evangelicalism a la John Wesley because that's mm -hmm. Pentecostal roots. But where evangelicalism has gone in the last 20 or 30 years is deeply concerning and in many ways um dr joy i think it has lent itself to some of the pain that has been exacerbated um in and the suffering that people are wrestling with mm -hmm. um, i'm just curious as we as we wind this up are we can we expect a book or two from Dr. Joy. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I I looked you up before and realized that you're you're friends with Chris Green, and I meant to be writing a chapter for him today, and paused my writing of it in order to speak to you. So I'm in trouble if he hears this <laughs> podcast. And so I am writing a chapter for a book in America uh, because of my own trauma. I I couldn't touch the thesis for two years. I I wrote. I I I often said that you know in my thesis I I started off the thesis standing above the pit, uh, calling everyone else out, and I ended it up because of a real uh, trauma that had happened in my life. I ended up at the bottom of the pit with everyone else asking God to call us all out. Um, and it, it made for the thesis being quite, and the thesis is available, you can send a link, it's, it's, it's openly available if anyone wants to read it. I tell people if they're not academics, just read the first two chapters and the last two chapters, the rest is really boring, it's all methodology and German <laughs> scholars and you know how it is. Uh, but yeah, eventually I would like to write a book called Sadness in the Spirit. Um, and, and yeah, I need to kind of work out how to do that because I, I really, I'm, 
I'm not sure that I want it to be an academic book. I think I want it to be for for the church. Yeah, um, for the large. So my, my chapter should be coming out as soon as I can get round to writing it. And my own health hasn't been great for the last couple of months. Um, so um, yeah, I hope just, just don't send Chris this podcast. That would be great. <laughs> we, just, we just spent the last two days together. He just oh no! <laughs> got plane this morning to head back home. We have spent the last two days in fervent dialogue. It's been wonderful. Um, maybe one more question mm. what what do you see in terms of how i'm sure there are similarities there may be differences because of the way the uk has handled the pandemic um, what are some of the things that you are noticing in terms of how people are processing there one of the key um it's, it's really interesting, I'm, you know, I, we haven't handled the pandemic well, that is clearly obvious to to everybody. Um, uh, I think who's watching on uh, to the UK. A lot of my friends are doctors. Um, I, I, I lost uh, a few friends, not to the virus, but in the midst of the virus, so being unable to go to funerals and things like that, uh, which was was heartbreaking. And I, I was saying to someone today, it was really interesting for me that my own work actually became a real uh, lifeline for me because a lot of my work focused on the power of lament and how we have lost the art of lament. Now in Northern Ireland I, I am utterly convinced that one of the reasons that we have 20 to 25 percent higher mental health issues is we have not mourned the troubles. We are stiff upper lip people. Scotland is the same and we have high levels of mental health issues. Um, and we've lost within our churches and within our society the ability to lament um, and, and to, to feel pain. And I think what's happening at the moment is that we are, we're just getting through it. And I saw this, I spent a lot of my childhood, my holidays and weekends and things over here. And we just got through it because it was, it, looking back, it was terrifying. But at the time it was normal. There were a lot of guns, a lot of bombs. Um, and now the mental health issues are coming. My fear and my prayer is that we as the churches would be equipped for the mental health tsunami that is coming because we're just dealing with it now. It's the same as it right. was in troubles. We just dealt with it. You, you know, you, you went out, you laughed about it. You said, oh gosh, there's a bomb scare. I'm not able to go to my party. And, and now the mental health tsunami, you know, 20 years later is coming, you know. I worry and I think as I, and I and I plead with you if you're a leader if you're a psychiatrist if you have funds to train good counselors we're going to need them because right now we're just getting through it but it is trauma we've all you know I've lost people most of the people I know have lost people my friends in hospitals I mean my goodness oh, yeah. the pain that they're going through um and and so we're not dealing with it well politically we're not dealing with it well and that's and we're seeing that you know we're seeing and, and in ways it's good because the pain that has been under the surface for us within within our communities with the riots that we're seeing now uh, for you guys within you know the, the horrific suffering that there's been within the black community and and there's there's good that's coming out of it because the pain is being is being seen but actually, are we equipped to deal with that pain when, when we stop acting and getting through it and we have to process? And I don't think we are. 
Um, and, and I think we really need to be, and, and that is my prayer, that we, we need more good psychiatrists, we need more good Christian counsellors, we need more churches that are doing the kind of networking that I'm talking about, that are doing the kind of community that I'm talking about, that are loving, that are listening to people when they say the harsh things, the hard things, the doubts, the fears, the pains, the inauthenticity that we have in our churches. It's got to go if we want people to get well and come through this, because at the moment it's just, and it's, it's weird because it's not a war, you know, it's like we're just sitting in our houses, you know, just watching Netflix all day. So we shouldn't be sad. We shouldn't be upset. So again, we've got that feeling of how we should feel. But our friends are dying and, and the NHS is a scary place and we're terrified. I don't know about you guys, but we're terrified to go to the hospitals because, yeah. you know, what's oh, going to yeah. happen? Absolutely. But because we're sitting in our houses watching Netflix, we think we shouldn't feel X, Y or Z. And my, my real passion is to stop us from feeling like we shouldn't feel things. I yeah. don't think that's biblical. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think we're, we're dealing with it as well as we can and we're dealing with it the way we deal with any other trauma. But within our nations, we've got issues that we need to sort out that other nations are better at. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for the, the Scottish work ethic that we gave you all. Uh, apologies for that. <laughs> I hear you. Well, Dr. Joy, would you be willing to pray for all our listeners as we close? Yeah, yeah. Dear Father, Son, and Spirit, we, I just, it sounds like such a strange word, but I want to congratulate the people that have made it this far and the podcast, even if they found some of it hard to listen to, Lord. And I know that you have that same spirit of celebration and pride and joy over them. And Lord God, we know that when everything else fails there is one thing that remains and that is your love and God we pray by your power by your spirit in your mercy in spite of what I've said today through what I've said today whatever Lord God may your love be evident may your love be evident to each person that's listening to this podcast to uh, Mark himself to to all those Lord who are suffering for mental health because it's hard lord but you have promised that you will never leave us you have promised that you will never abandon us i love that and that passage in isaiah where you say you will never abandon us may those who are listening know that they are not abandoned they are not left by the side of the road they are picked up they are cared for their wounds are ministered to they are brought to care may they see the people May they demonstrably see the people that they can trust, that they know they can trust. May you raise up these networks, Lord, in ways that are helpful. May you do miracles, God, um, in, in the lives of those who suffer. And may your precious children know that they are, above all else, your precious children. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. What a gift. Thank you. No worries. It's been um, fun. I suppose I should go back to that book chapter now. We'll, uh, we'll make you an honorary Issacharian as part oh, of Oh, honestly, I'll need to email the person that gave me that prophecy years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah, at some point we need to do this again. Actually, you know what? At some point, I think I'll get Dr. Chris and you together. And oh, that would be fun. That would be fun. Anyway, because we've we've all had our share of 
those kind of realities. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a good thing. But Dr. Joy, thank you so much. Um, for those that want to get your thesis, give us the yeah. title of the thesis. Um, it's called um, Sertraline, which is the British name for Prozac, I think, uh, Suffering and the Spirit. It's available okay. at the University of Aberdeen. I'll send you the link. It's, it's okay. available uh, freely, so I can send you the link right. to that. And we look forward to the uh, to the chapter in Dr. Chris's book. So that's yeah, cool. we'll see. Actually, if people just Google my name, Deborah Joy Allen, there aren't many of me because I'm Deborah Joy. Um, there, yeah, they'll find me. They'll find me. I'm on Twitter. They'll find okay. me. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, I would encourage all of our listeners to follow you on Twitter. Oh gosh. Oh.